Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Mark Schwarzer, and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Phil Kittrimalides and former Leeds United striker Michael Bridges, who has finally decided to join us this week after his jet-setting travels all over the world. Welcome, guys. Great to be back. Good to see you, Phil. Good to hear you, Swartzy. Looking forward to it. Hi, guys. Uh, Rumour is that you uh, got back from Australia and uh, you were doing a game, weren't you, Bridgie? Tell us a story. I heard you had a bit of a nudge. You were Maybe it was a bit boring the game. Is that is that the case? It certainly wasn't a boring game. It was Nottingham Forest against Newcastle United. I landed on the Friday afternoon back in the UK and forgot that I was doing co-coms for the World Feed on the Optusport channel, Swartzy. And um, Jim Proudfoot wasn't too impressed, the main commentator, when I, I fell asleep during the first half when I was, <laughs> I, was meant to give a, I was meant to give my opinion on a replay on one of the goals, and he had to give us a nudge to say, are you all right, son? I was, oh, what, what happened? So, um, yeah, not, not, <laughs> not very good preparation, my friend. Oh, that is brilliant. But a oh, hell of a game. I've never heard that before, honestly. I mean, I've seen fans fall asleep in a game, right? It's been boring, but... Anyway, working on a game, falling asleep. Anyway, let's start with Xavi and Leroy Sane, who both took their frustrations out this weekend, taking their anger out on a chair and a GoPro when results weren't going their way. Phil, have you ever seen anything like this before? Uh, I've, I've seen managers get angry, yeah. Uh, I've seen, you know, water bottles have been thrown on the floor quite a lot, haven't they, by uh, uh, managers. Punching the chair, uh, not so much, uh, no, or, or a GoPro, Um GoPros are quite expensive as well, so if he's broken that, he's probably going to um, have to have to pay for that as well as uh, dealing with the frustration of of losing uh, to uh, to Bayer Leverkusen. So, um, yeah, I mean, ha- have I ever experienced frustration like that as a fan watching a game? I tell you one thing: there's a, there's a story that I will never forget. Back in two thousand and five, Tottenham were playing Manchester United at Old Trafford, and Pedro Mendes scored a goal. Got a very good goal from the halfway line in the 89th minute, only it wasn't given. The ball was at least a foot over uh, the, uh, the the goal line. At least Roy Carroll scrambled, got it out, and it wasn't given. And I was so frustrated. And the thing was, I'd gone up to, um, to visit my girlfriend at the time, who'd gone off to university, and I was meeting all her flatmates for the first time. And we'd gone to this sleepy little pub in a village in the middle of nowhere. And I made quite a scene. I threw like a bar stool on the floor, started screaming, no. Um, and then I remember just turning around and seeing like everybody is staring at me. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was quite embarrassing. It was quite awkward. And we left, we left quite after, soon after that. So uh, I will never forget that because of it should have been a goal. And I also disgraced myself. How long did the relationship last after that? Didn't last very long, Shortsy. Um, <laughs> Just I don't know if I was the, the same question, for the, for the breakup. <laughs> but yeah, it, did, it actually did not last very long, no. Well, yeah. I wonder why, huh, Bridgie? Yeah. Bridgie, um, have you ever wrongly taken out your frustration on anything or, or someone or yeah, yeah. after a game? I've, I've seen a couple of moments, Shortsy, when I was playing um, for Sunderland where Lee Clark... I'm sure it was Clark. He got substituted and he went... You remember the old bucket and sponges that the physios used to have? Obviously, it was just like cold water and a sponge and it miraculously made everybody better. The miracle water. <laughs> I saw him get... I the subbed or something happened and he, he came onto the bench and he kicked the water bucket and his foot went straight through it. And obviously, the magic water spilled everywhere. Clark, he's got a bucket on his on his foot as he's trying to storm down the tunnel <laughs> in disgrace. And, you know, when something backfires, when you take your frustration out. Now, I never, I never got that animated, but there was one thing that I did do when I was at Hull City. And I'm not going to name names on the manager at the time, but I didn't get on with him. And he dragged us off at halftime against Sheffield Wednesday uh, and called me everything under the sun. Basically, hung us out to dry. And I was sitting in the dressing room second half thinking, I'm fuming here. Like, well, how do I, how do I sort this situation out? And I looked up and I saw his, um, his suit and his shirt was hanging up because he put his tracksuit on for the game. And I thought, you know what it is? I'm going to accidentally, this going? Where's I'm this gonna going? accidentally drop this in the shower and just make it very, very wet. 
Um, so yeah, I slyly went and did that, mate. And afterwards, <laughs> trying to watch him work out what the hell had happened while I was sitting in the corner, just fiddling with me wash bag. It was a, a priceless moment that I'll um, cherish forever. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a bit more disgusting than that. So no, no, it could have been far again. worse. Yeah, it could have yeah, been yeah. far worse, Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Phil, you've got those stories as well. Don't worry. That, that's just for a different uh, podcast that we do uh, on another occasion. Um, I've got one as well. Uh, it wasn't me, and it was actually before a game. So it was Clint Dempsey finding out that he wasn't in the team. So the morning of the game, we were playing a European game, uh, a Europa League game for Fulham, and it was at home. And uh, Bobby Zamora was struggling to be fit. And then the morning of the game, uh, as, as the story goes, apparently, Roy Hodgson called Clint Dempsey and said, look, get yourself ready. Bobby's not ready. He can't play. You're starting. And uh, Bobby then came to the, to the stadium early, did a fitness test, and went, actually, I can play. So Roy's put him back in the team. So he's got to then tell Clint Dempsey, you're not starting now, you're back on the bench. And Clint, if you know Clint, Clint was incredibly fiery. He was he was crazy on the football pitch. And uh, anyway, we, we knew he got called into the office. And all of a sudden, he comes storming out of the office, slamming doors, kicking things as he walked past. And in the cottage, um, in the main change rooms, there's like a little window in the cottage window uh, in the in the in the building in the in the in the main dressing room, and as he walked past it, he stopped for a split second, was going to keep going, and then just went, turned and put a full right fist through the window, and then there was just blood everywhere. Whoa. So he's obviously like, and he just storms off, and the physios run after him, get him back in, and he's he's got a really deep cut on his on his fist, and uh, they managed to patch it all up. And uh, he played the game. He came, sorry, came on, made a big difference in the game as well. And then um, had to go to the hospital and get it, uh, get it all uh, stitched up afterwards. It was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big. Huh? Wow, that's pretty wild <laughs> from from Deuce. Remember, I'll tell did, you what. Did you ever um, did you ever hear him rap? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it on the bus a few times as well. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, yeah. He was right into it, and he could rap too. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he was quality. Yeah. He sounds like a bit of a gangster. Deuce. Oh, and he was brought up. He was brought up on. Uh, he lived. He went from trailer park to trailer park as a kid growing up. So he and his brother he used to tell stories about him and his brother and how we used to ask him. He said, "Clint, why? Like you know, off the football pitch, he's so relaxed, so chilled, and the way he talked and just the way he carried on." And then we go, "Well, what happens when you get on the football pitch?" He's like <laughs> he just goes, "Well, you know, when I grew up, that's just what it was like. You had to fight for everything." And he goes, literally fight for anything. And there was never trying to talk about anything. It was literally who got the first punch in first. And and that's how they sorted things out. And him and his brother apparently were, were obviously would stick together and at times would get picked on or whatever, and they'd just come out swinging. And he swung out of a window. He swung out of a window and won. Well, he kind of won. I mean, it's debatable whether he won or not. I don't know. Um, But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't great. But remember, we were all just standing there in shock. Just like map jaws hit the ground, going, "What? Hang on, what have you just done? Yeah. We've got a massive game coming up, and he just put his hands through a window. Wow. Um, yeah, was a bit uh, a bit strange afterwards. Anyway, let's move on. This is where we're going to start with La Liga, and that's because obviously it was a huge, huge game in Madrid. Phil, you were there, Real Madrid against Girona, four um, 0 one sided scoreline. Was it as one sided as it sounded? Yeah, one-sided scoreline, one-sided game. Uh, it, this had really been built up. I mean, we'd spoken about it on the pod last week as uh, not a potential title decider, but but not far off. Uh, there was a sense of occasion at the Bernabeu as well. The ticket prices, by the way, the cheapest ticket was €95 Euros up Ouch. in the gods. Those ticket prices are usually reserved for when the other team from Catalonia come to the Bernabeu, when it's a Clasico. So to have um, those kind of prices just underlined uh, the magnitude of the event, sold out, by the way, so people weren't put off by the by the prices. And people got their money's worth because Real Madrid were absolutely yeah. extraordinary. It was their best performance of the season. It was Girona's worst performance of the season. And Real Madrid are five points clear at the top of the table now. It's not game over. Um, it's not title race over yet. And I'll explain why. Uh, why is it not, on, Phil? But... Why? How can you say that? It's over, surely. <sighs> it's it's not over because it's only five points. And being five points clear at the start of February doesn't mean that you've won the title. It means that you're in a very, very, very good position. But listen, next week, uh, Real Madrid have got a tough away game at Raya Vallecano, a, a team, my team, that they traditionally struggle against. They've got no fit centre-backs. They've got Jude Bellingham out. They've got midweek in the Champions League. And if they drop points there and Girona win... 
it's only two points again and we'll all be looking a bit silly saying it's it's game over so they're in a really good position but it's not over yet is is that um is that the coming of age of Vinicius Jr like i mean that was one of his best performances how good, how good was he swarty it was magic. Oh, I mean, firstly, he's, the, the first goal was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, great, great goal. I, what I loved the most was his pass um, to Jude Bellingham outside yeah. of his right foot. The way he'd not made the fullback and destroyed him. Oh, absolutely brilliant. Was it one of his best performances you've seen? Definitely. Uh, definitely one of his best performances. And um, afterwards, Carlo Ancelotti said, for me, for me personally, I think he's the best player in the world when he's got this attitude. When he's got this attitude and he's focused on, on playing well and not necessarily winding up opponents or winding up the crowd or getting other stuff into his head. When he's playing like this, he's the best player in the world. And in having seen that kind of performance, it's, it's difficult to... Um, Difficult to think differently. Uh, it was a really complete performance and Real Madrid needed it as well. They needed him to to, to step up in this big, big game. And he, and he really did. And you mentioned the fullback, Jan Koto. He literally left the game in tears afterwards. He was crying at full time because of all the uh, the, the torrid time that Vinicius had given him. He was at full, well, involved in quite a lot of the goals. And yeah, he was literally in tears. I'm not surprised. He would have gone to bed that night and been worried that Vinicius Jr. was under his pillow and going to give him another <laughs> nightmare because that was, like you say, an absolutely incredible performance. I've got to, I've got to have a chat about the, the, the man, the goal-scoring sensation, Bellingham. The pace he showed for the first goal when the slip pass went in behind the composure. Mm. Uh, we've talked him up since, since he's moved to Real Madrid. Uh, I just think he's gone to a whole new level. The performance he put in, Phil, but obviously you've talked about the injury. What what we're looking at? How how long is there any? Uh, is it going to affect Real Madrid? Yeah, so he went off with a with an ankle injury, and we think he's going to be out for sort of two to three weeks. He's not in the uh, not in the squad for the Champions League game coming up uh, tomorrow, and uh, yeah, uh, he's probably going to be out for for two or three weeks. It was interesting because his his position in this game, he was actually playing almost almost like a centre forward because Ancelotti had put Vinicius and Rodrigo really really out wide, and he said, "Stay out wide, keep those positions, and stay out wide." And uh, Bellingham was was through the middle, and he was using Bellingham uh, with his uh, physical presence and his energy to to press. Uh, the Girona centre-back. So um, he did everything in this game, Jude Bellingham, and he is such a complete player. And you look at his touches map uh, over the course of the game, his heat map, uh, where he is, he is he's all over uh, and he's involved in basically uh, everything. And he, he can play a centre-forward because he can finish like a centre-forward as well. He's unbelievable in the air. Um, he's, he's, he's the complete player and he's uh, La Liga's top scorer now. He's got 20 goals in all competitions. He's got 20 goals in all competitions. It's the start of February. He's only 20. It's his debut season at Real Madrid and he's already scored 20 goals in all competitions. It's ridiculous. I, I, I mean, he's not as he's not as good as Harry Kane now, is he, Bridgie? I mean, I'm probably asking the wrong person, right? I mean, you're loved up with Never Harry Kane. Never will be. Like, well, no come on, tomorrow. you know... You, I mean, from a Spurs fan myself, losing Harry Kane, and obviously a Bayern Munich fan yourself, getting Harry Kane, you, you must be absolutely as happy as I am, mate. <laughs> that's only vicious rumours that I'm a Bayern Munich fan. <laughs> uh, I do admire them from afar, be, that's for sure. It's uh, taken us two years to get that in. <laughs> I want to ask you, Bridgie, uh, Carlo Ancelotti, that, as Phil mentioned, uh, Vinicius Jr. on his day, when he's that focused... Yeah. Uh, is one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Can you see that? And do you How, think on that sort of performance, if he if he continues that, could he be regarded as the best player in the world? How can I argue with Ancelotti, mate? If he, the yeah. amount of players he has seen and worked with, for him to come out with a comment like that, um, it's not outrageous because he sees this player. And I was mesmerised by what he did. And I haven't seen many fullbacks cry in my time. Um, and, and what he did in that game was superb. The, the question I think that I pose, you, you've played with a guy, Mark, uh, Mark uh, Viduka Swartzi. On his day, Viduks, I saw him single-handedly destroy Liverpool. Could have been and should have been one of the best players in the world. Viduks, I don't think, backed it up on a regular basis. You know, he was there for one game, you might not see him for three or four, and he was the most laid-back, relaxed man in the world. Uh, I think that's the question that Vinicius Jr. has got. Can you go and do this back-to-back on a regular basis, like Phil was saying, and not let the other distractions affect your game? Because if Ancelotti's saying that and that performance we've seen, it's not the first time we've you know we've, we've seen it a number of times, but can you back it and be consistent? And he will go on to, like you say, become yeah. one of the, the best in the world if he can concentrate on his football. Uh, just a shout-out also to uh, Real Madrid at the other end of the pitch, because as I mentioned, they played this game with all four centre-backs from their squad out injured. 
So Militao and Alaba, long-term injuries, Rudiger and Nacho uh, are out as well. So they had Danny Carvajal, who was a five-for-eight right-back playing at centre-back, and Aurelien Chamonix, who is a midfielder, who has um, played maybe one or two games at centre-back in his uh, La Liga career. So these two... Um, not centre-backs, formed a centre-back partnership that restricted Girona to no shots on target for the first time this season. They didn't have any shots on target. They obviously didn't score. Uh, so shout out to Real Madrid's uh, centre-back pairing because uh, it was uh, extraordinary to see them come in and, and, and do such a good job. Was it a reality check for Girona where they are in this result? Where, where, where did they go from here, mate? Yeah, yeah. their, their manager, Michel, said, uh, said afterwards, listen, this isn't our... This isn't our league, is what he said. Real Madrid are not in our league. We're not fighting against Real Madrid. We're fighting against uh, Athletic uh, Club, against Real Sociedad, against Betis to try and get in the top four. This is not our league. We cannot compete with Real Madrid, Barcelona and, uh, and Atletico. And he also said the manager that, listen, I take full responsibility because I asked the players to do something um, and that left them exposed. He said, I wanted them to press high to, to try and get the ball uh, high up the pitch off Real Madrid and it didn't work and it left gaps and we were exposed. So, so it's my fault. And Listen, uh, Girona have only lost two games this season and they've both come against Real Madrid and it's an aggregate of 7-0 against Real Madrid. So I think this has seen that against the best team in yeah. Spain, which Real Madrid are, um, they, 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 can't, they can't compete with them. Uh, do, you think, do you think with Girona, right? Obviously, next game is uh, Atletico Bilbao away from home um, and then Real Vallecano, your team. So how does... Are they the next two tests? So are they the test to see how they bounce back after this Real Madrid game? And they're eight points clear in 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 uh, uh, in that in that Champions League position. Um, so is that the biggest test coming for them? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, the next game is uh, about as difficult as it gets away to uh, Athletic Club in Bilbao. So uh, that will be a, a real uh, indicator of how they bounce back uh, from this. And um, Listen, we're here on match day after match day 24 talking about Girona going for the title. The whole thing is absolutely ridiculous, completely unforeseen. I did an interview with uh, Eric Garcia for uh, Optus Sport before this game, the Girona centre-back. And uh, I said, you know, how unlikely was this at the start of the season? And he said, percentage-wise, 0%. None of us thought it would be 0% that we were in this position. <laughs> so the fact that they were going to the Bernabeu talking about this being a title decider is absolutely ridiculous. And I think now they'll just refocus and um, try and make sure they get top four. Because if they don't get top four, even if they finish fifth or sixth, will be a tremendous historic achievement for them. Yeah. It will feel like, actually, we've let this slip because they've been in such a good position all season and to then not get Champions League football will be a massive, massive blow. Well, they're actually 11 points ahead of Athletic Club uh, Bilbao, who they play next. So that could be the way if they don't win yes. uh, in Bilbao. So, yeah. So it, it's still, it is a buffer, but it is all interesting to see. Eyes will be on that game to see how Girona uh, respond after the, the defeat in in uh, Madrid. Barcelona doesn't get any easier, does it, for them, Phil? I mean, uh, everyone thought maybe, or you even said maybe the the weight will be off a little bit, Xavi will go on and it may be a bit easier for him. But <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say that. What I said was, why hasn't he gone already? I did not understand you this, said, uh, this on, notion. You said he's not going to go. On. He's going to stay. He won't go. He will no, no, stay no, no, there no, no. until hold, the end of the season. On. What I said was, when before he announced that he was leaving, you said, do you think he's going to be sacked? Do you think he's going to be sacked? And I said, no, I don't think he's going to be sacked. I think he'll stay until the end of the season and then we'll see. And then he came out and announced, hi guys, I'm going at the end of the season, Which to which I responded on this podcast and, and writing for Optus Sport as well. Why? Why are you staying until the end of the season? If your whole shtick is that I've got to go because the team needs a, a change of cycle, a change of dynamic, uh, it's not working. So yeah, I've got to go. Oh, but I'll stay until the end of the season. That doesn't make any sense. There has been no reaction. They've had two really sort of poor victories against Osasuna and Alaves, where they sort of scraped by, conceding chances, but got the two wins. And then yesterday they drew 3-3 at home to second bottom Granada, who are one of the worst teams we've seen in La Liga in recent history. He's not going to resign because then he won't get paid, Phil. So he's actually waiting to get sacked so he can get paid up. So that's his get out of jail free card. I'll leave at the end of the season. If you want to get rid of me, fill me pockets and see you later. Barca haven't got the money to do it. No, they don't. And also, he is, he, is a, he is a massive Barca fan, so I don't think he'd do anything to sort of hurt the club financially like that. But um, You don't know footballers very well, Phil. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I'm being naive. That's why he's living is... with a house with a north wing, a west wing, a south wing and an east wing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's, it's, it's really extraordinary to see this Barcelona side who are just limping along. Um, and I'll tell you what, guys, and I'm sorry Barcelona fans who are listening to this podcast... 
you're in trouble for the next few years. The next yeah. few years for Barcelona look really, really grim for many, many reasons. Can they keep hold of the youngster, Yamal? What a player, by the way. He is an extraordinary player um, and he's the one bright spark that they have uh, at the moment. Literally, the best thing about Barcelona right now is Lamine Yamal, who is still 16 and carrying this Barcelona side on his own. He scored two goals against uh, Granada last night, played uh, brilliantly, but is being let down by his um, by his teammates. I think they'll keep hold of him for, you know, for a little bit. They, they'll keep hold of him. But off the pitch, Barcelona sold off a lot of stuff a couple of years ago, these levers, in the hope of bringing in players to then bring success and to then try and bring financial stability through um, winning uh, trophies, through sponsorship deals, through trying to get Barcelona back to the elite of uh, European football. And that has not happened. And now they have sold off 25% of their TV rights. For the next 30-odd years, they're going to be receiving less money than... Real Madrid for their TV rights for the next 30 years and given the situation that they're in it's just really really grim in terms of the future and um, yeah I don't want to paint such a negative picture for uh, Barcelona but at the moment this morning seeing where the team are uh, it's it's looking really well, I don't really think bad. you're going to be on any Barcelona fans um, Valentine's card list mate after what you've just said I, I think a lot, a a lot, a lot, a lot of them realise that a lot of them realise that that's the thing like they've got this manager Joan Laporta who's really good at sort of talking and making grand gestures but he has taken massive risks massive financial risks with the club and they've not paid off they've, last season they won the league okay but they needed that was like the bare minimum given all the financial expenditure that they'd had that was the bare minimum they needed to win the league which they did they've budgeted to reach the quarterfinals of the Champions League this season. They're up against Napoli, who, okay, themselves are, are, are struggling a bit, but there's no guarantee they'll reach the uh, quarterfinals of the Champions League. There is a big guarantee that they're going to continue to struggle financially. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking bad. Are they in danger of potentially even slipping out of the Champions League positions? Because if you look at it, I mean, Athletic, um, de Madrid, Atletico de Madrid are only three points behind them. Uh, Atletico Bilbao are six points of a game they're playing tonight. That could change the three. They play Atletico uh, Bilbao in a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's, it's by no means a foregone <laughs> conclusion that they qualify for the Champions League. And if they don't do that, I mean, that is absolutely a uh, red flag, red alert, massive, massive catastrophe for Barcelona for all sorts of reasons, uh, financially, uh, in terms of sporting prestige. It's, it's, it's huge if they don't qualify for the Champions League. I think they will. I think they will um, because the quality in the squad will just about get them through it. And we've seen even the last couple of games when they, they didn't play well against Osasuna and Alaves, but they managed to win. They'll have probably have enough of those performances to get top four. Well, Phil, you talk about, not much you talk about the money situation at Barcelona. I was just been to Dubai and Abu Dhabi and the first ever theme park named after a football club, the Real Madrid theme park will be opening very, very soon, I would imagine, over there. So, like, they're... they're, they're they're rich to Saudi Arabia, the UAE and things like that, Real Madrid, compared to Barca. It's just rubbing salt in the wounds because the Real Madrid brand and uh, logo gets bigger and bigger globally. I mean, I, I wrote about this, I think it was last month in my column for Optus Sport after the uh, the Super Cup, which, which, which Real Madrid won, which was in Saudi Arabia. And it just underlined for me like the stark differences both on and off the pitch between Real Madrid and Barcelona in terms of how they're being run. Uh, you may have certain feelings towards Real Madrid president Florentino Perez. He is perhaps a divisive figure in the world of football, but Real Madrid are run extremely well. Um, they've spent money. They have debt, but it's structured debt. Uh, they've managed to renovate the Bernabeu. It's, it's nearly ready. It's going to be a, a year-round uh, venue. They're going to have NFL matches there from uh, next season. They're in a really good space uh, financially to um, dominate uh, Spanish and potentially European football. Barcelona are, are all over the place, all over the place. And they're going to be there for, uh, for, for, for a while. And that difference between the two is just growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, let's move on to one of the other clubs, Sevilla. Um, got a much needed three points at home to uh, Atletico de Bilbao, Atletico Bilbao, Atletico de Madrid. Um, how bad were Madrid in terms of they've stopped start, aren't they? Atletico, they've been stop start this season. They, just when you think they're going to kick on a little bit, they drop off again. Sevilla were good for the money, and how good has Isaac Romeo been? Very, very good indeed. Um, Atletico Madrid, by the way, their their form is just bizarre because at home. They're unbeatable. I mean, at home, they've been genuinely uh, sensational, unbeaten in all, 
all year uh, in uh, in La Liga, scoring goals, playing entertaining football have been great. Away from home, they've lost six times, and I, it's just it's, it's difficult to explain how a team can be so good at home and so. Um, poor away from home and you know you guys are uh, ex-pros and I've spoken to lots of current managers ex-managers current footballers and you know try and explain how can a team be so much worse away from home than at home and there isn't really there isn't really a convincing argument there's certain things uh, that can help but to give a definitive argument you know this is why we are so much worse there isn't is there so it's, it's difficult I think Romeo I mean how good was he I mean he was like three goals in five games he probably should, he could have easily had three goals. Could have had a hat trick against. Listen, this this Isak Romero is, is quite a story actually because he was playing in the fourth division of Spanish football with Sevilla's B team a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Yusuf Nasiri went off to the uh, African Cup of Nations. Uh, the manager didn't fancy fancy Rafa Mir, who was the striker that they had. Said, right, let's bring up this this kid, a kid who's not actually that young. He's 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 twenty three, and if you're playing in the fourth tier of Spanish football with a B team, which is usually like a youth team, when you're 23, which is usually for you know slightly younger players than 23, I didn't know what to expect from this guy. And he's come in and he's been extraordinarily good, scoring, uh, making brilliant runs, assisting. He could have had three goals and three assists yesterday because he laid a couple of goals uh, on a plate which were uh, missed. And it's been... Um, it's been a really, really positive thing for Sevilla, who needed it because they were in a relegation battle. They're moving away from the relegation zone. And it's always nice when a team thinks, you know what, we're going to give a chance to someone from our youth academy. That's what they're there for. That's what the B teams in Spain are there for. Um, when the first team needs someone, dip into there. Come up, let's see what you can do. And he's showing everyone what he can do. Isaac Romero, remember the name. Yeah, he's been absolutely unbelievable. Watching the game and, and the chances he created pace, very quick, very good on the ball, um, and obviously has an eye for goals, considering how many goals he's scored in such a short period of time. Um, Phil, do we want to talk about uh, Mallorca against Real Vallecano, your team? No. Do you want to bring it up? I mean, we, I no. brought it up now, so we might as well finish it, right? Yeah, Real Vallecano conceded a 91st-minute uh, goal to lose 2-1 at uh, Mallorca. Uh, Rio, my team, in all sorts of problems. Uh, we might get relegated. I, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, Swati, you are a... one evil man. Sorry, Phil. I, yeah, I apologise profusely for right, everybody. We can talk here. about Spurs later, right? That, yes, that we can. Just, <laughs> it was a little bit awkward, though, wasn't it, Bridgie? I didn't think it was going to go that way. <laughs> Love it. Anyway, uh, Phil, is the title race over? Is has I mean, you said before we, we you talked about it just briefly before. Real Madrid only it's only five points, but it is Real Madrid, and they know how to win titles. Uh, listen, uh, the reason why it uh, looks bad is because it's a five-point gap for uh, Real Madrid, but it's to Girona. They're 10 points clear of uh, Barcelona and 13 points clear of Atletico Madrid, who you would expect to actually mount serious challenges. So um, it's not over yet because it's only five points and it could be two points by the time we speak next week. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you never know, but it's, it's, it's looking really, really good for, for Real Madrid. But there's still loads of reasons so, for Optusport yeah. uh, viewers I was about to, to say, to it's the Optusport right? viewers and yeah. the Optusport listeners, Phil. We've got to say the title race is not over. Keep watching La Liga, regular basis. It's going all the way down the wire, um, but I think it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you might be right, but there's loads of other great stories in uh, in uh, La Liga as well. You should be uh, you should be watching because there's so many great young players as well. Look, yeah. Laminia Mal's doing amazingly well, and and listen, if you're watching, you can show off to your mates in a couple of years' time. Oh, listen, I spotted this guy when he was playing in La Liga. He's amazing, Samu Omorodion. A teenage uh, striker for uh, Alaves, who's on loan from Atletico Madrid. He scored nine goals already. Watch out. Make sure you're, you're looking at him. Uh, Valencia have got a whole host of youngsters coming through in the middle. Uh, Javi Guerra is a really talented 20-year-old uh, midfielder who is going to go uh, places and probably move to the Premier League at some point as well. At Athletic Club de Bilbao, you've got the Williams brothers. How great is it that there are two brothers in a team uh, playing in the forward line together, scoring together, assisting one another and possibly leading Athletic Club de Bilbao into the Champions League for the first time. Are they time as good in, as the Williams sisters? That's a great story as well. Are they as good as the Williams <laughs> sisters, my friend? That's the question I beg to you. <laughs> Who would I rather have? I'd rather have the Williams brothers up front, but I think in the doubles, the Williams sisters would win. What was the, stat, what was the record in Yaki Williams? What was the record he had for continuous matches played? He played, I think, something like 250 consecutive league games. It was over a space of uh, eight years, I think. 
uh, before he finally missed a game. Yeah, it's absolutely frightening. So yeah, all right, I'm going to keep watching La Liga. I mean, I watch it anyway. Yeah, but film. it's more yeah. about a person who might just go, "Well, do I really want to watch it? Seems like it's over. It's not over, is it?" It's That's why Phil yet. gets paid the big bucks for all that info. Love it, Phil. Very good. Very good. There was no action in the WSL this weekend, but the Women's FA Cup was live and up to sport as Arsenal slumped to another defeat, this time at the hands of league rivals Manchester City. Make sure you catch all the highlights of that one on the app, as well as post-match interviews will be on there as well. Also, tomorrow I'm going to be interviewing Katrina Gorey after her great start to life at West Ham. So look out for that one towards the end of the week as well. Next up, we're going to chat Premier League. But first, here's a taste of what we've got coming up on Optus Sport. The new season of the J-League is coming to Optus Sport. And it's absolutely magnificent. This is more than just football. This is culture. 20 clubs will fight for the title. Travis might come for the shot. Oh, brilliant. Two Aussie coaches in charge. Flash one in. Brilliant goal. February 23, J-League. Watch it live on Optus Sport. So, of course, we're going to talk about Premier League right now. And where better to start than West Ham against Arsenal? Look, I certainly did not see a 6-0 drubbing uh, for West Ham against Arsenal. Bridgie, did you see that at all? Or were you still sleeping because of your jet lag? No, I was definitely awake for this game. I I didn't see the 6-0 drubbing coming. But what I did see... uh, or in, <laughs> have a vision of it, is that Arsenal were just totally going to dominate this. And it was a, a case of how long could Moyes and his team defend and, uh, and how, if there was going to be an early goal in this game from Arsenal, it was going to go one way. And they managed to get two or three um, back-to-back. And obviously the penalty held. But when they when you realised they'd got the second goal, I, w- I was thinking this could be catastrophic. And I think the West Ham fans saw it coming as well, Swartzy, because... I think it was at 3-0 down that the, the there was about 25,000 of them started to leave the stadium in the first half. There was a drone footage showing them it was a mass exodus. So you could you could sense it was coming after the breakthrough because there was no way David Moyes and West Ham were going to be able to play an expansive game and try and go on the game and play and leave more pockets of space available because it could have been double figures. So it's kind of you're trying to nullify your results and I really felt for West Ham. But I've got to say, Arsenal's performance, um, coming from a Spurs man, absolutely outstanding. They were clinical. They're doing it without a, a designated number nine as well. They find the way. And I think the icing on the cake was the Declan Rice finish, the X-man, because the last match they, they played against each other, obviously West Ham won it and Declan was getting a lot of sticks in. You've gone to the wrong club. The way he finished mm. it off to make it 6-0. He controlled his emotions. He knew he didn't want to celebrate he, with the with the, with the result. He didn't want. It was almost like he's put another nail in the coffin. But that was incredible. Now it can have massive um, an impact on West Ham and David Moyes as the manager, and it can also have massive impact on Arsenal. Saying to the rest of the teams in this title race that we are here because of the manner which they did it. So that, it was super impressive for me. So there you go, Arsenal fans. I'm not a one-trick pony about Spurs. You were magnificent. Uh, Phil, this is going to be hard for you, right? Because obviously you, I mean, there was rumours. I, I, I can't confirm nor deny. There were rumours that you didn't even want to talk about Arsenal today after they won <laughs> 6 nil. Um, Is it even more impressive the fact that the way they backed it up after the Liverpool win? It is. I mean, they're on an impressive run of form. I mean, these four consecutive victories and, and the goals that they're scoring as well. Obviously, they put five past Palace, three past uh, Liverpool, six past... West Ham. I'm I'm from North London. Uh, I'm a Spurs fan. I've got Spurs mates, but I'm also in a WhatsApp group with um, a, a group of Arsenal mates. And I think they might be the most negative Arsenal fans in the universe, because even after this, even after this game, they were saying, I still think we need a striker. We still need a striker. We still we, we can't, you know, if we had a striker, it would have been nine or ten nil because and to be fair, like if maybe they had a striker, they could they 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 would have scored more goals because they 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 had chances. But um, it's looking it's looking good for Arsenal after the little winter break. I think from um, yeah. um, that they went to they went to Dubai. They had a bit of sunshine training there. They they look a bit more 
energised. I think the form of Bukayo Saka is very, very promising indeed uh, with the goals that he scored in the last three matches. And I remember talking about him earlier on in the in the, in the seasons with you, Schwartz, who's saying that I was a little bit disappointed with him compared to, compared to last season. And you're going, all right, mate, you know, look at his numbers. His numbers aren't actually that bad, you know, in terms of goals and assists. And, and they actually weren't. But in terms of like the feeling I was getting from his uh, performances, it wasn't quite the same. And in the last few weeks, he's been has been really quite special. So that's really positive for uh, for Arsenal. And I think another thing, if you don't necessarily have an out-and-out number nine centre-forward, what, I mean, you guys will know this, obviously, as um, former players and, and coaches, um, what, what, what's a good thing to do if you don't have an out-and-out uh, centre-forward? Maybe maybe work on set-pieces, right? So you can score goals from set-pieces where you don't necessarily need a, uh, an out-and-out centre-forward or a striker. And Arsenal have clearly done that. So two more set-piece goals. They've scored yeah. 16 set-piece goals this season, more than anyone else. And credit to them for the work they've done there because it's um, it's it's a really, really... A useful weapon that they've got now. To score. Well, the last couple of days, I've seen the worst defensive team in Nottingham Forest. I concede, I think they've conceded now after the Newcastle game, it was 16 goals from set plays. And then you watch Arsenal, who have scored 16 goals from set plays. It's a massive part of football, without a shadow of a doubt, Phil. And I think you know the, the one area, if you can tell your Arsenal fans, for me, that I think they need to recruit would probably be the left-back position at this moment in time. That's where I think they're really struggling. Oh, yeah, they they've spoken about that as well. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. there you go. That's uh, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. Swartzy, this result, uh, the, I mean, the goal difference now between the top three teams, Liverpool 32 goal difference with 54 points, Man City 31, 52 with a game in hand, and Arsenal now on 31 goal difference as well with 52 points. How much pressure... Does this put back on the top two with this result? I continuously pro- applies the pressure, right, to make yeah. sure that reminding them that they're still there, Arsenal, and that they're waiting for a slip up. I mean, it it, it works both ways, right? Arsenal know that they need to keep to keep the pressure up. They know they're under pressure every week to pick up three points because the likelihood is Liverpool and Man City are going to do the same. Um, so yeah, you and you've got to hope that there is a slip up between now and the end of the season. I think um, I think it was really impressive because I think. The game at at, uh, West Ham is always a tricky one, certainly for Arsenal, because question marks, not so much in the last year or so, but have always been about the spine of Arsenal. Have they got, you know, the the grit, the ability to to get through games, tough games, potentially games where it might be a little bit more physical, might be questions asked, tougher venues to go and play at. And uh, against West Ham, I mean, uh, as much as as, uh, West Ham possibly weren't, at their well, they were certainly weren't at their best. Mm-hmm. They weren't allowed to be at their best, were they? I mean, Arsenal were outstanding. I what impressed me um, not only was six goals, but the quality of the goals, um, absolutely outstanding. And yeah. uh, Arsenal, when they're in this sort of mood, look like they are genuine contenders. And and that's going to be interesting to see whether they can maintain it. Yeah. Well, I think the contenders back in there. I'm going to flip it on the other side. The team that have been smashed, obviously, off Arsenal is West Ham. So a 6-0 drubbing off Arsenal, a 3-0 defeat to Manchester United away, a draw with Bournemouth 1-1, a draw with Sheffield United, got beat off Bristol City in the FA Cup, a draw with uh, in the previous one with Bristol City, a draw with Brighton, and then the last good result was against Arsenal with a 2-0 win. The fans have walked out. West Ham are sitting in eighth. Obviously, Moises delivered a trophy last season. Does he survive? Well, his contract is up, right? So there's talk about whether he renews his contract or doesn't. I I listened to the interview after the game uh, from David Moyes, and he talked about the fact that trying to remind people about, yes, this wasn't a good game. This was a bad performance. Arsenal were six horrendous performances. Yeah, no, I get that. No, I totally understand that. But look, it's West Ham, right? Let, let's not get carried away. They're going to be games where it doesn't go that well. I mean, what I'm saying is it's West Ham. Yeah, but you Ham can't is... say that to fans, is it? You can't no, say, no, oh, it's West Ham, guys. No, but it's a team that's sitting check, in eighth right? position. They're sitting in eighth. They're, mm. European, yeah. they're European Cup winners. Like, you've got to ask questions when the fans are walking out. All right? We, we've... Me and Phil have been Spurs fans and we've had fans walking out under Conte and Mourinho, right? They're staying right till the last second of games because I knew I'd get it in, Phil. Tottenham won in the last minute of the game against Brighton to get the result over the line. They're staying. They've got, a, be- they've got a belief. West Ham fans have got no belief. So what I'm saying is the owners have got a massive decision to make. They don't want to, they're, they're not happy watching the, the dross now that is being delivered when you're playing the big clubs. To be fair, I think if Spurs were six nil down, I think people might 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 leave. Hey, you never know. Ange Ball could have got him out of that trouble. <laughs> 
Yeah, look, I, I, I don't think... I, I just think there's a bit of a reality check. There's a realisation. Look, they're playing European football. They're trying to balance that with, with their, their league position. Um, look, eighth, I think, is a, is a decent position. They need four more points and they're safe from relegation. Um, but you know what I mean? They, they, I, I think... I think they've still got a lot to kick on for. They've got an opportunity to to get better. And I think David Moyes is, at this moment in time, the perfect person to still take them forward. He knows how to set up a team. He knows how to get the best out of the group of players he's got. Whether or not he stays beyond this season or not is another thing. But just be careful what you wish for. You know, he's got stability. He knows what to do. They've already got rid of him once before brought in changes and they end up nosediving and he came back in to save them again. I just always worry about West Ham. I don't think it's one of the, it's one of those clubs and the supporter base that it's not easy to manage. There's a high expectation and, and often yeah. far higher than what the team's ability. May Reality. Be. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't think it's an easy place to be at. And I think David Moyes has done a, an unbelievable job. When you look at the bigger picture, don't just you- take these games this season. You used a quote in there, nosediving. You made a career out of doing that, pal. <laughs> <laughs> no, the only person that used to nosedive all the time was you, mate. And uh, more often than not, you got nothing for it. <laughs> oh, moving on. Uh, let's, moving on. Aston Villa, oh, they've seemed to hit a massive uh, bump in the road, massive hole in the road. I don't know. Maybe their council's not fixing their roads either, like around here. Um at home, their home form obviously struggled. It was Manchester United. In a game that I think anytime you play Manchester United, certainly at home, I feel that they are there to be taken. And it just seems that they're a bit of a they, – I don't know. There's a perception there's a bit of a soft touch. The results will show that they haven't been recently. They've won now three in a row. They've seemingly turned the corner a little bit. But that could all go belly up in the next couple of games because that's just the nature of football and the nature of uh, the media. Are you convinced, uh, Phil, that Manchester United have turned that corner and are Villa kind of a bit of a reality check now? Do these results that you mentioned, the three consecutive wins, um, do those, uh, the performances in those matches feel like they've turned the corner? Okay, they've turned the corner because they're getting wins. But if you, if you look at the games, I mean, the 4-3 win against Wolves, where they needed the their injury time, deep, deep injury time win, a brilliant goal from uh, Mainu. Okay, they beat they beat West Ham pretty convincingly 3-0. And then against Villa, they needed another late goal. Villa that's did well in this though, game. That's a big result though, Phil. Phil, that's a big result. Yeah, but, yeah. They but the thing is, 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 is they hadn't won away result. from home, I think, in the last nine matches against the top 17. I get, so they, I get that, I get that's, that. That's it a was, massive it, way, it, way it, to galvanise Absolutely. I, I, I agree. It's a massive, massive result. I'm talking a little bit more about the actual performances, though. So if you look at what they've actually done and what they actually did against Villa, um, Villa had a considerably higher XG in this game yeah. than, than, than well, United. If it wasn't, if it wasn't was... for Anana's performance, it Aha, could have been so much okay. different. Yes. So we're getting on to Onana now. So perhaps who's turned the corner is maybe Onana has turned the corner <laughs> because he's making the kind of saves that he wasn't making early on in the, in the season. Yeah. And this game... He made three or four like extraordinary, yeah. like really, really good saves and saves that we might not have expected him to be making because of his previous uh, performances in the uh, in the season. So his his individual showing, I think, is helping United a lot. I think for United in that performance is more about the grit and the determination and the togetherness. Right, you're right. Anana, Anana did what he has been brought in to do. He pulled off some saves that he hasn't been pulling off. Right, he's pulled off the odd ones, but he's made mistakes. So maybe this is uh, Anana's turning point. Maybe this is the point where he's going to bring a bit of consistency to his performances because that's certainly not what he's done this season. Um, and I think it was more about the togetherness of the team. That's something in the past you've seen with United, even this season, they look so disjointed and almost like finger-pointing uh, Bruno Fernandes is always the first person you think of when that comes up, you know, shouting, screaming, you know, going off at his own teammates all the time, which is, which is never great, Bridget. We know what it's like when you're on the, on the pitch and things are not going so well and you've got a teammate digging you out left, right and centre for every little mistake that you may make. Um, I, I think there's been a change in that sort of attitude. Yes, the performances could be far better. Absolutely. And, from, and when you talk about... Man, the problem is we've got to be careful. We don't consider Manchester United as the Manchester United they used to be, right? We always say for a Manchester United team and when you listen to the commentary most of the time, most of them are ex-Manchester United players of that era who talk about 
this is not a Manchester United team. Well, that was in the past. We're talking yeah, about yeah, now, yes. where they are right now and have yeah. where have they been over the last couple of that's years. What, that's why I'm saying it's such that. a big result for this team. And yeah. because they've, they've to get Villa, who are in unbelievable... You know, they're not in good form. Like you said, I think that consistency has gone out the window. Draw two losses, the two wins in the last five has just been all over the place. You don't know what you're going to get. The the worrying side, and I agree with Phil, is I see Liverpool. I know exactly what they are about, their style of play. Man City, the same under Pep. Arsenal with Arteta, yes. Tottenham, tick, yes. Aston Villa under Unai Emery, yes. And then you come to the teams like Manchester United, <laughs> West Ham, Newcastle. You're kind of... Newcastle have gone away from what they are. They've conceded so many goals. So the Manchester United, I do not still see Ten Hag having an influence on the style of play. And it's kind of like, oh, he scored last minute goal. It's McTominay again, who's come up with the goods. And I didn't even want him again. So they're getting very lucky. I think the players are pulling this guy out the crap. Um, and, and, have you, are the, you surprised by that? Are you surprised by the lack of identity for Manchester United and Ten Hag, considering yeah. where he's been yes. and the structures that he's worked within, and yeah. they have, he's had a clear identity. These clubs, yeah. and I mind think, you, mind you, that's well, Ajax, right? So let, let's not let's not let's look at this a bit deeper. Is that Ajax are a structured club from down yeah. from the bottom all the way up? So how much of an influence does the manager actually have on the way that they play? Or well, is he just managing the players? Who was the manager before that came in? Um, that Ralph Ranjik. Oh, yeah, Ranjik. I mean, he came in. He was meant to be the you know the the greatest thing ever for technical, tactical, um, coming up with these visions and philosophies and styles of play. And he's gone away scratching his head, thinking he doesn't want to be involved in football ever again. Man United has destroyed him, so he he couldn't change it. So obviously, you're thinking Ten Hag's come in now. I'm not going to take anything away. This is a huge win for Manchester United, but I'm still really questioning what are Manchester United, what are the DNA, and what is Ten Hag offering this team because they've got players. That are some of the you know up there with some of the best in the world. The the performances, I, I just I agree with Phil. I do not see this being the turning point for Manchester United. It's the turning point because they've won the away game for the first time against one of the big teams, and that's going to galvanise you. But I still don't think that you're seeing the best from what Manchester United players can deliver under this system. Bridget, tell us tell us about Hoyland. Are you I, like is is he is he the the right one for Manchester United? He scored five goals in a row now. I love him. Mate. Um, yeah, I, I love him. I love everything about, about him. him. I, I like about him his pace. I think you've seen the Champions League. He didn't. He was struggling in the Premier League. He was trying too too hard. He just needed something to go in in off his backside or his nose to get that one goal. You saw in the Champions League that he was scoring. You've seen in his previous club that he can score goals. He has pace, right, to burn. He can play with his back to goal and hold the ball up and bring others in. He is. It, the moment that I loved is when he scored his first goal for Manchester United in the Premier League and how much it meant to him. He had tears running down his face. So that is passionate. The players all ran to him to show what it meant to him. So he's a team player because they all wanted to be part of it. I think he ticks a lot of boxes now. And when, once he's got on that run of form, if, if he was playing a team that were producing loads of XP goal assists, this guy is, uh, he's the real deal, mate. I, I'm a big fan of his and I like everything about him. He's only 21, right? Yeah. The but pressure that comes scored, with that Swartie as well. But he, I know, but he's never scored double figures in any of the leagues, right? So where he's at Copenhagen, he actually didn't even score um, when playing for Copenhagen. Sturm Graz, he scored a, like 13 games, six goals in one season, five games, three goals in another season. Atalanta, he played 32 games. That was his most consistent season, yeah. but only scored nine goals as a striker. He'll get double so, figures before the end of the season. I'm telling you, okay. this, the, he will get double figures before the end of this season. Um, in the it, Premier League, I mean, it, not because he scored the ah, Champions okay. League. He's already in double figures. Yeah, 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 in the Premier League. He'll get double figures in the Premier League this season. Um, like I say, he's he can head a ball, left foot, right foot pace. He's a, he's a bit of an all-round package. You've got to supply this guy and you've got to get service to him. I've, the times I watched him early on, he was very isolated up front on his own. There was no support and runners coming from the midfield. And the, the deliveries, I mean, when you've got, when you've got that guy, Anthony, cutting inside in his left foot every time, looking for the little link-up play. Please, do me a favour, cross the ball into the box for this guy. If David Beckham was on that right wing for Manchester United, Hoyland mm. would have had 20 goals this season so far. So, just uh, like, like I say, from, from a striker watching and observing, I really, really admire this kid. I, I think David Beckham's tool can whip in a good cross, right? So, if you were Manchester United and Ten Hag, you'd probably ask him to come back and do some just some crossing during games. Ten right? Hag wouldn't because he, he likes playing people that are inverted wingers that do absolutely nothing. Um, Phil... Uh, Scott McTominay. Um, yes. Did we? I mean, this is frightening, really, if you think about it. This guy, 
was not wanted by by Ten Hag uh, or Manchester United or both. We, we we don't know 100%, but certainly the clear message was that he was he was surplus to requirements at the beginning of the season. Didn't go. Did we expect to see him as almost their saviour at times because he scored seven league goals now? And then also for Scotland, he scored seven goals in eight of the qualifiers. Uh, I don't think we expected him to be his uh, Manchester United saviour. Absolutely not. I mean, it just, I mean, his his performances and, and, and his big goals and this kind of redemption story, it just all seems to play into this feeling that I have with Manchester United. Just going back to what Bridgie was saying, is that at the moment, it's just sort of, Vibes. Manchester United is just vibes at the moment. There's no necessarily a, a, a clear, a clear plan, a clear structure of how we want to play, what we want to do. Oh yeah, you know we're scoring all these late goals. Bring on Scott McTominay. Yeah, he'll score another headed goal. Oh, it's great. It's but it doesn't feel like there's any kind of sort of structured idea of how they um how they should be playing. And they look better in 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 both penalty areas potentially with Onana making saves and Hoyland scoring goals, which is positive. But then if you're still relying on McTominay to come off the bench and score late on, it's 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 not conducive to a side that is going to fight for important things like like Manchester United should be. I mean, in terms of McTominay, I like him because he, um, in, in Spain, there's this concept, Spanish football vocabulary, by the way, is very, very extensive. We need to try and incorporate some of it into English because I've realised, you know, English football vocab is actually quite limited. But in Spain, they've got a word for everything. And in Spain, they've got a word for like a midfielder that arrives into the box at the kind of the right time to score. And they call it a llegador, which is like an arriver. Uh, and Scott McTominay is an arriver. He seems to arrive into the box at the right time to uh, to score goals, and, and I like that ability. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I don't think relying on these kind of goals is conducive to Manchester United having a successful season. I, I don't know if this is risky, Bridgie, asking you this question, but I'm going to give you a chance to give your verdict on Newcastle's performance away at Nottingham Forest, considering that you mentioned that you fell asleep a couple of times, right? I'm going to mention two people's names, and I want you to give me your verdict on that game. Bruno Gomerez. And Dan Byrne. Bruno Gomera's outstanding world class. The do you know what they did, Swatch? They cha- the Newcastle United and Eddie Howe completely changed the the shape of this game because in the last game when they got beat, um Gibbs White basically man marked Bruno Gimaraes when he went in to play as the number six or the pivot as the deepest midfielder and they went man on man and didn't allow him to get the ball. Uh, and basically marked him out of the game. And Newcastle couldn't find a way to break the lines and get past them. And every time Forrest won it, they counter-attacked that pace. And Alanga destroyed Dan Byrne on the other on the opposite side in that game. What he learned from this match, I was very surprised that Dan Byrne started and Livermento didn't because, again, against um, Brentford, I think, uh, was it Bournemouth or Brentford? They got beaten the previous game. Dan Byrne, again, got, got um, towelled up. So what they did with Bruno, they put him higher up the field. They played Miley and Longstaff as the two sitting midfielders for Newcastle United. And they also brought Kieran Trippier inside to play as the extra midfielder like Man City like to do with um, their right backs and also Trent Alexander for Liverpool. And Newcastle found it so easy to break through and they played Bruno higher. And he seemed to absolutely love the freedom to go higher. So it was a massive tick from Eddie Howe. The set play goal was magnificent. What a goal. Big question. What a finish. Outside oh, his foot. What a yeah, finish. Yeah. I mean, the second one's just as good, the little bottom corner, because he didn't try and do the top corner FIFA goal. He used, you, you'll know as a goalkeeper how hard it is, Swartzy, when you've got two defenders. And I, I said in the commentary that the, Bruno used the defenders to blindsight the goalkeeper. So he didn't see it till late. It was a tremendous finish. So the, the flip side of that, the commentator Jim Proudfoot said to me, Can you believe Dan Byrne is coming out for the second half of this game? And I actually said, well, it's a big call from Eddie Howe to take him off what, because you lose your aerial presence with him. And what they did, they actually made um, Anthony Gordon come back and help him out in a 2v1 situation. And Dan Byrne's second half performance um, illustrated why he should have played in that position. Um, and he did it. He did a fantastic. He redeemed himself, basically. Um, Newcastle left themselves exposed. So the biggest problem, I'll say, for Newcastle this season um, that they have their defensive record is horrendous. You can't blame the back four and you can't blame Dubravka, the goalkeeper, to say that he's not as good as Nick Pope because he's made a lot of saves. The difference between Newcastle this season to last season, if you have a look at the first goal that Forrest scored, Newcastle's midfield three this season, they've had no defensive security. All three have gone forward and wandered and they've really left the back four, which turns into a back three because Trippier goes high and wide very exposed in the counter-attack and the transition. That's been Newcastle's biggest downfall. Second half, 
they sorted it out and that's why they got the results. So there you go. It was just, a m- massive win. Just for legal reasons, I can't confirm that is 100% cor- uh, correct what Bridgie said because he did mention earlier on that he fell asleep for vast parts <laughs> of that game. But he sounded very convincing, let's be honest. Um, let's you. move on. Blue cards. Blue cards. Like, oh, what, what are we thinking up. about no. blue cards? Oh, go on, Bridgie. You're, you're ready. No, no Phil, go, go on. Go away. I'll... I actually, I actually think it's a great idea, Bridgie. I think we should have loads of uh, different colour cards. And, You're having uh, a laugh, man. No, listen, listen, listen. No, no. I, I, I'm going to defend the notion uh, on, a, on a quite a specific thing. So I've always felt like watching football, um, when there is a tactical foul, someone who has made absolutely no intent to play the ball, they're just hauling someone back. Uh, and it could be in their own half, but it's about like to Like Chiellini did away. to Saka in the Euros. For example, yes. for example, um, those kind of things where a yellow card, it just doesn't really feel like enough of a punishment because, all right, I'll take a yellow card. It's fine. I've stopped a really, really good opportunity. I haven't even tried to touch the ball. I've actually done like a rugby tackle in so many occasions. And a yellow card for me doesn't feel enough. So I've always thought, how can you, how, surely there can be another kind of specific But then he runs a risk because... of getting another yellow card for the rest of the game. And if he was on a yellow card previously, he wouldn't have done that. You can't change the laws of yeah, the game and the rules but, but, of the game. So you, that but you've punished him. Yes. But you ha- you ha- you've punished that person, but you haven't given the people who had the like the other team any kind of benefit. So okay, I've got a free kick in my own half, and they've stopped this pun- this really good um, chance. I don't feel like no. the benefit. So, out- so I think Phil, a blue Phil, card. I respect that, you, that- I admire you, but that is absolute horse crap, man. All right, sorry. I'm uh, no, I, all I'm going to say is, uh, let's not. Forget, what they're saying as well is that if you get a blue card, and then come back on, and then get, were to get a yellow it would be then classes like two yellows, you'd get a red. So you're not getting away with it. You're getting, in that regard, I, I, I don't think, I'm not a fan of it, right? I don't, think, I don't think the idea is a good thing because for me, the referee, I think, should be harder anyway. I'm dissent and all that. Put out a yellow There's card. other ways to change a culture of football to have more respect for referee sports. I, 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 I hate this decision. Should, should be more forceful with those. The minute there's dissent, pull out a yellow card. That will stop them pretty yeah. quick. They keep well, going. Give them you know, kicking the ball away. Off. Kicking the ball yeah. away. The yellow card straight away. Players are not kicking it away anymore. The odd, the odd one that's got the IQ of it. They've got to stick to it. Does. The problem is they don't stick to it. That's the issue. The, the yeah. con- lack of consistency in that moment. And they're worried about ruining the, the, the flow of the game, the, the, the style of game. They're worried about the criticism that people are going to give them. Rather than criticize the individual player for their stupidity. Right, they're criticizing the referee for not reading the game well enough and everything else. I think cynical fouls. I, I'm like, you know what? If someone rugby tackles someone, has no intention to get the ball, professional, you foul. give red cards, you give them a red card, it stops that will stop very quickly. Yeah, and you've got to be consistent in a blue card instead of bringing okay. a blue card. All right, well, then do that. Then I, do that. I, I feel like I didn't mean to upset you, I just got rattled there, man. I just wasn't no, no, personal. It's fine. We're all, we're all, we're all mates here, mate. Um, but then do that then. Fine. Okay. I was just speaking about a very specific instance, which yeah. I've consistently seen. And I've always thought this doesn't seem fair that you stop this really promising attack. And because it's not the final man, there's no red card. But if you bring in a red card for a foul where there is no attempt to play the ball and you're just stopping a promising attack, then okay. I think that, 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 that could help. I think there's just this lack of respect for referees in general that the only way it's going to change is by the referees themselves becoming harsher. The organization's backing it, standing behind it, and they're enforcing the rules, the current rules that we have more, more stringently. <laughs> do, you know what I, do you know what I love? The fact that it's, it's a FIFA rule, correct? Yeah, uh, IFAB. Yeah. IFAB is about They came out and, and they announced it. it was almost like Michael Jackson coming out on stage and going, hoo-hoo, and doing all these dance moves. And then without with all the backlash, it was almost like the Michael Jackson moonwalk. And you've kind of heard that you haven't heard from them since because they've realized. It just goes <laughs> to show you the lack of understanding and the feeling, the yeah. perception amongst the general public of, of some of the decisions they come up with rather than actually doing some research into it and possibly yeah. even doing some research within the public to have an understanding of the proper football fan of how they feel about it. I mean, there's certain elements of it. At least then you know where you are rather than feeling like, oh, I didn't see that reaction coming from anywhere. Just as long as you are prepared and you can then Managers, be players, every staff, scenario. Everything. Do a, do, a, do a big research. <laughs> and, and that's the silly thing about it is that they, it's almost like we are the, 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 
we are the, the rules of this game and we can implement whatever rule we want. And therefore people just have to accept that we are doing the right thing rather than actually doing a bit of a more consultancy sort of element of it. And Listen, allowing so there's a lot of rule changes that have come into football that have made the game better. The back pass rule for Absolutely. goalkeepers, no doubt about it, the, you know, multi-ball and, and just things like that. But this one, I just, it's, it's so left field. It, it, it's, it really has, <laughs> it just boils me. And I, I'm sorry, Phil, you, you just well, copped it there. Yeah, I was about to say, we haven't, we haven't noticed that. I mean, Phil, I've got a number for a really good counsel after this. Um, yeah, I no, mean, it's HR, almost like I felt Phil had brought the rule in. He's only given this. an opinion. Yeah. Bridgie, um, great to chat to you. Probably be the last time we'll ever chat to you ever again on this show. But, you know, uh, Phil, we'll have a word afterwards, right? I mean, if you need any I'm help. I'm just going to go and uh, cry in the corner. Yeah, if you so. need any help, mate, just give yeah. me a call. Uh, guys, Appreciate that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, thank you very much, Phil. Thank you, Bridgie, for joining us. Remember, you can watch every game in the Premier League, La Liga, and at WSL live and exclusive on Optusport. See you next time. Sorry, Phil. Thomas, I keep brought the rule into the game. Oh, sorry, man. I didn't mean to. It's okay. It's all right. Absolutely fine.